We're so proud and honored that you're watching the program. I received a telephone call from a lady in Collinsville just a week or so ago, whenever it was, and she told me that she was going to obey the gospel as a result of watching this program, and I sure hope that she's done that, and sure hope that there's many other people out in our television audience that are will do as that woman said she's going to do, and that we hope she did do. We're here to preach the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're here to do it with all the love and all the compassion and all the respect that's within us. We always encourage our friends in the television audience to worship with us at the Rainbow Drive Church of Christ. 2201 Rainbow Drive in Gadsden. Our Bible study this morning is at 9.30. Our worship hour at 10.30. Our evening worship hour tonight at 6 o'clock p.m. And our midweek Bible study on Wednesdays is at 7 o'clock p.m. Come and avail yourself of the opportunity of meeting a truly wonderful group of people and worshiping with us and seeing just exactly how we conduct ourselves and how we're striving so desperately to be just exactly as the Bible would have us to be and practice Christianity just exactly the way it was practiced in the first century. I'd like you to open your Bibles with me, if you will, and I want us to read the first six verses of the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. That'll be our text for this morning. And at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called the little child unto him and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child of my name, receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, were better for him that a millstone were hanged around his neck, and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. This incident took place in the life of Christ just prior to his being arrested and crucified. The apostles, his disciples, had been with him for some three years during his ministry and had observed his many miracles and had heard his tremendous teachings. Yet, even at this point, the apostles had a misunderstanding of some of Jesus' teachings. They kept thinking that Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom, and that he was going to elevate the Jewish people to positions of prominence, and was going to subjugate the Romans and reclaim the Jewish territory that the Romans were occupying. They kept thinking that this was Jesus' purpose, despite the fact that Jesus constantly attempted to teach them otherwise. In John 18 and 36, he said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. In John 14 and 1, he said that you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto my own, that where I am, there ye may be also. In Matthew, the uh, 20th chapter, when uh, the mother of uh, James and John, the wife of Zebedee, asked Jesus that her sons might sit one on his right hand and the other on his left hand in his kingdom, Jesus said, you don't know what you ask. This is not for me to give. Jesus continually tried to teach his disciples that his was a spiritual mission and that he was setting up the kingdom would be his church, but that he wasn't going to set up an earthly kingdom in the sense that they conceived of it, in the sense that they thought of it. Even after his resurrection, before he ascended back into heaven, the apostles asked him in Acts 1 and 6, Wilt thou now said, return the kingdom unto Israel? One of the great problems that people have always had in their understanding of the teachings of Jesus Christ and the Bible today is that they place material interpretations on what are intended to be spiritual messages. That was the great problem in the first century. Remember when Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again? What did Nicodemus say immediately? How can this be? I'm an old man. 
I might have returned to my mother's womb and be born again. Jesus wasn't talking about his physical birth. He was talking about a spiritual birth. But Nicodemus applied his words to the physical, applied his words to the material. When Jesus uh, said in John 2 and 19, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days, they immediately thought he was talking about Solomon's temple. They said 40 and 6 years, the temple was in the making and he's going to rebuild it in three days. Jesus wasn't talking about Solomon's temple. He was talking about the temple of his body, that it would be resurrected after three days in the in the, the tomb. And it's just in the, as it turned out to be Joseph's new tomb. Over in John, the fourth chapter, when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, he said, Whosoever drinketh the, the, of the waters that I have to give shall never thirst. The woman immediately thought he was talking about Jacob's water. She said, Well, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, who fed his children and his cattle and his livestock out of this well? Jesus wasn't talking about Jacob's water. He was talking about his word. His message was spiritual, but people continually, throughout his ministry, applied those spiritual words in a material sense. Now, mankind is still doing that, friends and brethren. Still has that great problem. We still put more emphasis on the material than we do the spiritual. Much preaching today convinces people that if they will follow after Jesus Christ, they'll be healed of whatever illnesses they might have, that they'll be more successful in their place of employment, that they'll reap the rewards on this earth. I watch a man on television every once in a while. I can't watch him too long because he just so aggravates me that I just get too upset watching him. But he's continually telling people if they'll send money in to that program, to the place where he's doing the preaching, that the Lord is going to repay them ten times in material blessings. You know, so he gets a whole lot of people who believe that sending in money because that's pretty good investment. If you get ten times what you send in back, well, you're going to encourage a whole lot of people to send in their money, but he's deceiving them. Because the Lord hasn't made those kind of promises to his followers. He hasn't told us that if we give 10% of our earnings, he's going to give us uh, 10 times back in a material sense. If that be the case, the first century Christians surely, were, were, surely didn't have a right relationship with the Lord. Because they were martyred for what they believed. They had to go without homes and were constantly persecuted and beaten and mocked. And Paul, on five different occasions, was beaten by the Jewish people with 40 lashes, save one. Shipwrecked, beaten with stones, beaten with rods. rods. I mean, they lived a difficult life. There wasn't a material religion. They weren't looking for the earthly rewards. They were looking for the heavenly rewards. They were preparing themselves for eternity. Well... You take, friends and brethren, the material out of much religion today, and you wouldn't have any religion left. Jesus came into the world with a spiritual message. His words are to be interpreted spiritually. He came to seek and to save the lost. He did not come to perform miracles. He performed miracles in order to convince people that he was the Son of God so that they would listen to his spiritual message. He did not come into the world to feed the poor. He fed the poor, and again, in order to convince them that he was the Son of God so that they would listen to his spiritual message. He did not come into the world to teach us how to have better personalities and how to like ourselves better and how to be more popular with other people. No, that's great. But that's not why Jesus came into the world. Jesus came into the world to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came into the world to bear the sins of mankind in his body on the tree. Jesus came into the world to die for you and for me. Jesus came into the world for spiritual reasons and only for spiritual reasons. But mankind has always had a great problem in applying his words in the spiritual sense. We always have had that propensity, if you will, to apply his words in the material sense. Well, now Jesus 
in the midst of this discussion, he sees this little child. He takes the little child and puts him in the midst of the apostles and disciples and said, Now, unless you be converted, become as this little child, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was the master teacher, friends and brethren, had many different methods of teaching. He often used the visible object method of teaching. Pick up a pearl and compare heaven to that pearl. Compare heaven to a mustard seed. Talked about uh, many of the things that were visible to the people. Talked about the rocked rocks and the thorny ground and the thistles and the wheat and the tares and the shepherds and the sheep and the farmers and what have you was constantly making reference to the things that those people were aware of, that those people could see, and comparing these things with, uh, with, his, with heaven and giving these things a spiritual connotation and making and drawing this comparison to teach a spiritual lesson. He was a great, great teller of stories. Every parable that Jesus told was a story. It was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning in order to teach a spiritual message, in order to make a spiritual point. His story of the prodigal son is unparalleled in all of literature as far as beauty is concerned. He told the story of the elder son. He told the story of the publican and the Pharisee, the widow and her might, Lazarus and the rich man. He was constantly telling people stories that they could relate to, and he would apply those stories to the spiritual. Now, if Jesus were on earth today, he probably, in fact, I know he wouldn't in this portion of the world talk about shepherds and their sheep. He wouldn't talk about the things that he talked about back then that those people could relate to because you and I in this portion of the world today wouldn't relate to shepherds and sheep and many of the things that Jesus talked about today. He might talk about a ball game and compare that ball game with, uh, with his message, make that give some kind of a spiritual application to his message. He might talk about the situation in the Middle East. He might talk about Russia. He might talk about anything that you and I would be aware of and you and I would be cognizant of and compare that with his message and make a spiritual application. That's the way Jesus taught. And that's why Mark said of him in Mark 12 and 37 that the common people heard him gladly. Jesus spoke down to the level of the common people. He used many illustrations, many visible objects in order to make impressions on these people's mind, in order to teach in such a manner that it would be vivid for them and that they would remember what he taught. So in this instance, he uses the visible object method of teaching by placing a child in the midst of the apostle. And he says, unless you be converted and become as a, this little child, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to become converted? Acts 3 and 19, Peter said, turn and be converted and have your sins blotted out. One is converted to something, he makes a change. There's a tremendous transition in his or her life. When we're converted to Jesus Christ... We go through, if you will, a spiritual metamorphosis. We are changed completely. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, when one is in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, old things are passed away and all things become new. When we came into a right relationship with Christ, we contacted the blood of Jesus and our obedience to him in baptism. We then became a new person out of darkness, spiritual darkness, into spiritual light, under the marvelous light of our Lord and our Savior. We came out from among them in a separate and touch not the unclean thing. We're no longer unequally yoked with unbelievers. We just pursue a different kind of a life. We've made a conversion, a transition from one life to the Lord's way of living. Jesus said we must be converted and become as this little child. Why would Jesus choose a little child to teach this lesson? Well, friends and brethren, there are traits in little children that all of us adults must somehow attempt to uh, 
mimic and attempt to become a part of if we hope to be in a right relationship with the Lord. Number one, the faith of a little child. A little child has unquestioning faith in his mother and father. I grew up in a broken home, but I can still recall when I was eight, nine years old, just a little boy, and my dad would sometimes uh, tell me some things that I couldn't understand. Even though I couldn't understand them, I would believe them because it was my dad telling me that, and I just figured that my dad knew about all these things and that he wouldn't lie to me. I can remember him telling me how there was going to be television. Yes, I grew up without television. I can remember when there was no television. As a little boy, my dad would say, there's going to be television someday. You're going to be able to watch the ball game right in the living room of your home and a little miniature uh, movie screen right while the game is going on all the way across the country in another part of the country. I couldn't understand that. I couldn't even imagine it, but I believed it. He would tell me that there were going to be jet airplanes that would fly across the ocean at tremendous rates of speed. I couldn't understand it, but I believed it. He told me that somebody would come along someday and beat Joe Lewis. I used to think when I was a little boy that Joe Lewis is indestructible. I didn't think anybody could beat Joe Lewis, but he said somebody will come along and beat Joe Lewis. I didn't understand that, but I believed it because he was my dad. And these things that he told me all turned out to be true. Even though I couldn't understand them, they were true. Well, now, you know, friends and brethren, there's a whole lot of things about God that we don't understand. We don't understand how God spoke this universe into existence. Now, the evolutionist or the person who denies that God created the universe, uh, he claims that the universe came about by accident. He doesn't understand that either. Never forget, friends and brethren, that because we who are Christians cannot understand how God could speak this universe into existence. Never fail to understand that the unbeliever is totally incapable of understanding how the universe came into existence all by itself and through accidents. His belief and his faith has to be even stronger than our faith. We have faith in God. He has to put faith in his faith in accidents. He has to put his faith in chance. He has to put his faith in celestial error of some kind. We put our faith in the omniscient omnipotent, all-powerful, almighty God. Now, we don't understand how he spoke the universe into existence. But I believe it, because he's God, and he can do whatever he wants to do. We don't understand how he took from the dust of the ground and created Adam. We don't understand how he took from Adam's rib and created Eve. But I believe it, because he's God, and he can do whatever he chooses to do. We don't understand how he parted the Red Sea through Moses, how he fed the Israelites with manna from heaven, how Jesus was born of a virgin, how the dead were resurrected, how the lame and the sick and the ill were healed, and how Jesus could calm the winds and the seas by merely speaking to them, peace be still. We don't understand many of those things. But we believe them. We must have the faith of a little child. Even though we're incapable of understanding some of these things, we must believe that God, since he is God, can do as he has told us that he has done. So we must have the faith of a little child when it comes to those things that we're incapable of understanding. There's nobody in the face of this earth that's more forgiving than a little child. I like to tell the story of an incident that took place uh, many years ago when I was living up in Michigan. good friend of mine, little boy at that time, was only two years old. Now, his little two-year-old, or maybe three or four, he was right in that area, but I think it was two. The little two-year-old boy got into a fight with the little two-year-old boy next door. Well, my friend went out and got into an argument with the other boy's father over their two boys being in a fight. He said that he and the next-door neighbor did not speak to one another for a year. And the two little boys were back playing together 
the very same day that they had the fight. You know, friends and brethren, we parents, we make so many mistakes in the raising of our children. And I believe one of the great mistakes that parents are making today is to constantly involve themselves in their children's situations where the children, if they are left to themselves, will work it through, will work out of it. There's nobody more forgiving than a little child. Little child will get angry. Little child might even uh, start to swing in his arms and what have you. and might even get involved in some kind of a physical confrontation. But five minutes later, that little child will forget all about it. That little child is so quick and willing to forgive. That's the way we've got to be as Christians. We've got to have that kind of an attitude, that attribute that we associate with little children. We're going to have differences. We're going to have problems. We're human beings. Human beings can't go through this life without any difficulties, without any problems, without any disagreements. And sometimes maybe those disagreements will seem very pronounced. But we must be friends and brethren like little children. We must be willing and quick to forgive, and we must be willing and quick to forget. And we as parents must understand that our children are going to grow up to be better adults if we will allow them to work out their own problems. You know, one of the difficulties in our society today, as far as I'm concerned, one of the real problems with young people, is because so many parents have developed this attitude that they're supposed to defend their young, their, their children. It doesn't make any difference whether their children are right or wrong. The teacher calls up and points out that their children are not being what they should be in school. What do many parents today do? They fight for the teacher. They blame the teacher. Neighbor comes by and tells the parent that their child has defaced their property in some way. What do many parents do? They get into an argument with the neighbor. They defend their children. They're defending their children when their children should not be defended. And in many instances, they wind up before a judge somewhere still trying to defend their children when their children should not be defended. And their children wind up being sentenced to prison. Children must not be led to believe that mother and dad are going to be there to defend them no matter whether they're right or wrong. I've made a lot of mistakes, I'm certain, in the raising of our children. My wife and I did. But very fortunately, all three of our children are dedicated Christians. My son is a gospel preacher in Nashville, preaching for the Brookmead Church and doing, I believe, to be a great work. He's just a great young preacher. One of the things that Jeanette and I never did with our children was fight their battles for them or defend them when we felt that they were wrong. When Mark would come home, as he did on a couple of occasions, and said there was a boy two or three years older that was picking on him and that I needed to go over and straighten that boy out, I said, Mark, if you can't handle that situation then stay away from the boy. Don't expect me to go out there and fight your battles. I'm not going to always be around to fight your battle. You're going to have to straighten your problems out and work through them on your own. When the teacher call would call up, as it did during one stage that Mark had, when he went through a stage that so many teenagers go through and he was skipping school a few times and not doing as he should do, and the teacher called, we didn't ball out the teacher. We grounded Mark. We disciplined Mark. When the neighbor came and told us that Mark had defaced their property, we didn't ball out the neighbor. We disciplined Mark. We made him save his allowance and pay the neighbor back, pay for the property that he had contributed to defacing. We make a great mistake when we protect our children, when our children are acting in such a manner that they should be disciplined. 
But anyway, we must develop the attitude of a little child when it comes to forgiving one another. Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, Jesus said, If ye forgive men their trespasses, so shall the Heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. If ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither shall the Heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. Number three, children are not prejudiced against other people because other people are different than them. Meeting I held in Houma, Louisiana a couple of weeks ago, about a third of that congregation is made up of our black brethren. Well, on one evening prior to the services, I saw two little boys. They were in five, six, seven-year-old age category. One was black and one was white. They were playing with one another, wrestling, doing all the things that little children at that age do. And I turned over to the preacher, the local preacher there, Brother Gary Hutchins, and I said, Gary, look at those two kids there now. They don't either. They're not even aware that one of them is black and one of them is white. They're just, they don't pay any attention to that. So you see, they have to grow up and we have to teach them that they're supposed to be prejudiced towards somebody because their skin is a different color. Or that they're supposed to notice that somebody is different than them. That this young boy is black and if he's in his parents, let him know that the other young boy is white. So you see, little children, when they see another child, they don't see a black child or a red child or a or a yellow child, or a Italian child, or an Irish child, or a northern child, or a southern child. They just see another person, that's all. They just see another human being. And that's an attribute in children that we adults must develop. That's an attribute in children that we de- adults must do all that we can to emulate. Peter says in Acts 10 and 34, I perceive that God is a respecter of no person. But all who feareth him and worketh righteousness in every nation are acceptable unto him. In Acts 17 and 26, Paul says, Of one blood hath God made men of all nations to dwell on this earth. In Galatians 3 and 26, Paul says, We're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For those of us who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. So... The Bible teaches that there should not be prejudice and bigotry and hatred between races. And of all people in the world where there shouldn't be prejudice, bigotry, and hatred between races, it should be among Christians. It should be among the followers of Jesus Christ. Well, that's an attribute that a little child has. It's an attribute that we adults must strive desperately to develop in our lives. These are some of the reasons that Jesus used this little child as an example. Unless you be converted, become as a little child. He that humbles himself as this little child. You see, the apostles were fighting and arguing over who was going to have the highest position in the kingdom, who was going to sit on the right-hand side of Jesus, who was going to sit on the left-hand side of Jesus. Brethren, eternity, and it might take eternity to reveal it, but I believe in eternity and the judgment. We're going to find out that one of the besetting sins of preachers, talking about my preaching, brethren, now, in the Lord's kingdom, has been nothing but pure jealousy. Trying to outdo one another, and instead of rejoicing in each other's accomplishments and weeping over each other's setbacks, sometimes we rejoice over the setbacks and weep over the accomplishments. That's should never be, friends and brethren. Should never be. Who's doing the preaching when people are converted is not what's important. 
People being converted is what is important. And certainly we all, as a part of the body of Jesus Christ, should be working together on behalf of the greatest cause known to mankind. And it ought not to be, I'm trying to be greater than this one, or this one's trying to be greater than the other one. That was the problem that Jesus was correcting among the apostles here. But it's a problem that we still have almost 2,000 years later. Jesus says in Matthew 23 and 13, Whosoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Whosoever exalts himself shall be humbled. Paul said, He planted, Apollos watered, but it was God that gave the increase. We must give all of the credit to God. We're simply His vessel, simply doing what we're capable of doing, and He must receive the glory and He must receive the praise. And it ought not to be that we're striving to be the most important people in His kingdom is the church today. They were arguing over those days of a misunderstanding of the kingdom, but still arguing over who would be the greatest in the, the kingdom. Now Jesus says, whosoever would offend one of these, my little ones, it would be better for him that a millstone be tied around his neck and he would be cast into the depth of the sea and drowned. No more harsh words in all of the Bible than Matthew 18 and 6 that Jesus uttered in reference to those who offend these little children. You know, one of the greatest blessings that God can bestow upon a young couple, a married couple, is a little child. That is one of the greatest blessings that any married couple can ever experience. But with that tremendous blessing, friends and brethren, comes also tremendous responsibilities. The responsibility being to bring that child up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The mother and the father that sit home on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night and don't attend the worship service. Boy, you are in violation of what Jesus just said in Matthew 18 and 6. You have offended those little ones. Those little ones are more observant than you'll, than you'll ever realize. When they see you so disinterested and so unconcerned, it causes them to be disinterested and unconcerned. When they see their mother and dad that can't go to church on Sunday because they don't feel well, because they're allegedly sick, and then see that same mother and dad get up on Monday morning and go to work, those little children have been offended. They can see through that. They know that it just doesn't add up that you're too sick to spend an hour or two in church, but you can go to work for eight or nine hours. And they know that your priorities are out of balance, and that just hurts them and their faith, and we have offended those little children. When we don't read our Bibles at home, when we don't pray with our children, when we don't show any spirituality among our, from our, with our children, we don't have devotionals in the home, we have offended our children. The home, friends and brethren, is in great trouble today, and I wish I had more time to develop this thought. But one of the reasons it's in trouble, even in the church, because we're not praying, we're not reading our Bibles, and we're not having the devotionals in the home that God intended for us to have. The home has become a place where we come in at night and watch television for a couple of hours and then get a night's sleep. And that's not the way God intended for the home to be. The home should be the place where families are together, talking with one another, expressing their opinions, exchanging their ideas, trying to help one another, encourage one another. And the home should be the place where our children are taught the importance of being in a right relationship with the Lord. Don't expect the church to do what you don't do in your home. You bring your children up right in the home, and they'll go into the church and be great examples for other children, and they'll lead people to the Lord. You don't bring them up right in the home, and the church is not going to be able to change, in most cases, what you haven't done at home. Don't offend those little children. 
obey the gospel. If you've never obeyed the gospel, you're offending your little child because you're telling him that that's not what's really important in life. Put Jesus first and lead that little child to the Lord so that you can be in heaven with your entire family one day. Thank you so much for watching the program. We love and appreciate each and every one of you.